This is a time of transformation. As old ways fall, men are called to rise, to heal our lives, grow strong, and transcend our limitations. In tribes around the world, drawing on the best of masculinity from all of time, a new day is beginning. This is the Renaissance of men. You are the Renaissance. Tucking your children in bed does not make you a good father. Putting everybody before you does not make you a good father. Coaching, the homework, driving to recitals, that is not what makes you a good father. It's all of it. It is your presence as a man. It's your ability to be the one who says no when you want to say yes. Last night I had a discussion with a few men about how there are times where I don't want to tell my child no. I don't want to tell my wife no, we're not gonna go do that. But that's my responsibility. It is my duty to draw those boundaries to ensure that I'm leading my clan to those heights. It's not accidental. I want the life everybody else wants, the nice smooth sailing life, it's very comfortable. I would love that. That's not a reality. That's not how it works for men. And that's damn well not how it works for patriarchs. Hello, my name is Will Spencer, and welcome to the Renaissance of Men podcast. The voice you just heard was that of my next guest, Zach Small, aka the artist formerly known as Hunter Drew. Zach is a blogger, author, speaker, father, husband, Navy veteran, and chief patriarch of the 21 Conventions Patriarch Edition. I got a chance to meet Zach at that event just over a week ago in Orlando, Florida, and while I'd seen his presence online, I was blown away by his energy, his passion, and his genuine enthusiasm for cultivating men, masculinity, and fatherhood. On his blog, thefamilyalpha.com, Zach writes movingly and candidly about parenting, physical fitness, spirituality, sobriety, married sex life, and his journey as a man. On Instagram and Twitter, at ZachSmall underscore, he powerfully encourages men to be the best versions of themselves they can be. And in his men's community, the Fraternity of Excellence, he gets to both lead and create new leaders to fuel the renaissance of men we're all living through and which is transforming us as men. In this conversation, Zach and I discuss the process of reclaiming his real name, Zach Small, and the disadvantages of using pseudonyms online. We talk about lighting a fire in men's lives and how men need other men to help us break out of the boxes we all live in. And we talk about the time that Zach and his wife went to war with each other and how it made them a stronger couple. On a technical note, this was my first time recording in Zoom, and there were some advanced settings I was unaware of. So from time to time, you'll hear some recording artifacts on my voice. I ask you to please bear with them. They won't happen again. Zach's voice, on the other hand, sounds just fine. Thanks again for tuning in, and please enjoy this conversation with the one and only Zach Small. Hunter, thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Who's Hunter? (laughs) Good start. (laughs) So you must get that a lot, huh? I do. I still do. I'm going to give it one year. And after that, I'm going to start talking shit. (laughs) But there's a one year gap where I'm like, all right, I I messed with you guys for for years on end. So now I'll get my one year of uh, kicking it back into gear for Zach. 
Totally. I, I appreciate that. You know, I, I used to grow... I, when I grew up, I was Bill for a long time. And when, when I went to college, I changed to Will. And it must have taken my family maybe five or 10 years to start calling me Will. So, so I you get me. it. I get I totally get it. <laughs> I understand that a name change is actually a really big deal. Like it, it's, it's an entire transformation of identity in a way, even though it's changing from, you know, your pseudonym, you know, to your, your pen name, to your real name, it's still a change, right? It's interesting. Somebody asked me how I felt about it. And uh, it's hard to describe for anybody outside of myself. But for me, it means literally nothing because everything I shared was true except for the letters in my name. And at the same time, it means everything because I'm finally sharing a piece of myself, which I hadn't plugged into the world, you know, publicly only, you know, the FOE men and friends and family knew who I was, but now the world does. Where did the name Hunter Drew come from? When my wife was pregnant with our second child, uh, if it was a boy, we were going to name him Hunter Drew. Uh, Hunter, we like the name. And then Drew is a shout out to her brother. So my brother-in-law, uh, his name's Andrew. So we we're going to kind of pay homage to him. But it turned out to be my daughter. So we went with Ava and I stole Hunter Drew. I was like, if it's a strong enough name for us to pass on to my child, it's a strong enough name for me to use to write books and blogs with. It's actually, it, well, it is actually a really strong name. And so, every, well, when you were, when you were writing as, as Hunter Drew, when you go and you click post and here something goes out with your, with your pseudonym, with the chosen name, like, was there a time where you felt some sort of conflict with that? Where you felt some sort of like, it's not an integrity app because I don't feel like you were out of integrity, but sort of like, is it me? Am I really being me? Did you ever feel that? I oh, that's the only thing I really struggled with. I always struggled with that because I, I just didn't feel like I was being honest. It felt like I was being a hypocrite, telling all these people to be yourself and share your story and you know live your message. And here I am, publishing books and 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 sharing and speaking on stages and being introduced as Hunter because I thought I should protect my family and protect my my income and my life. I, I guess on the physical world, I was always afraid of like the backlash because you hear all the stories about like Jack Murphy getting swatted and you hear about these people getting fired because their involvement. And up to that point, I mean, I'm, I'm still the sole breadwinner for the family. So it's, if I lose my income, like what happens? Is it worth it for me to write a blog and use my name? So I had a lot of back and forth with that, trying to figure out what was the right call there. And then you changed to Zach, um, what, like April or May or something like that? Yeah, it was right when uh, the quarantine and uh, like the isolation started hitting, you know, separate and stay away from people, stay home. Once that hit, I was like, oh man, like the world needs connection now more than ever. And it's, it's time, you know, to fully connect with the world at large and give all of me with the expectation that people understand that they've got to give all of them to be a part of this world and to be involved in what's going on. So as you're, as you're sitting there the day, okay, you finally made up, well, what was the process like discussing that change? Like, obviously you, you talked about it with your wife and you're very open in your blog about your relationship with your wife, the amazing relationship you two have. And so clearly you discussed it with her and, and how did that go? I didn't really discuss that with her. <laughs> it was more of a, Hey babe, I'm doing this. And she's like, Oh, are you sure? I was like, yeah. And then I was like, I already did it. So <laughs> here we go. And then was it just like you, you were prepared for the roller coaster ride? It, it was almost a disappointment, man. <laughs> like, like I shared it and all these things and nothing happened. <laughs> you know, like you picture this big, like cataclysmic, like, oh my God, Zach, da, da, da. Nah, nobody cared. <laughs> I, uh, it was actually Jeff Putnam. So of Rugged Legacy, he reached out and he's like, dude, do you know that you just signed that tweet, Zach, and not Hunter? I was like, yeah, man. Like one, I'm coming out of Zach. You know, that's, that's me now. Like I'm killing Hunter. But two, thank you for reaching out and letting me know in case that was like a slip of the tongue, you know? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was that was actually really nice of him to do. Dude. Like, good looking out, bro. Yeah, absolutely. That's a fist bump. You got my back. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, I suppose it's possible that if you had come out as your real name earlier, you would have drawn more heat. But I mean, to the point where you'd built up your brand and built up your name and built up your community so strong, you actually had you have an army of men behind you now. So it's actually, I think, tactically, it was probably a, a, a better time than earlier, right? And whatever gets you out there into the world, if you got to use a pseudonym to start practicing your writing chops and posting and being public, I say I'll go for it. You know. You know, let let's not kid ourselves. Nothing I do is by chance, you know, like we all have our goals, we all have our angles, you know, and I, I love to play to the angle of like, look, we're just guys doing our thing. But there is definitely a rhyme and reason to this. You know, like you said, I had FOE going in full swing. I'd established myself as someone who I could make it, you know, I, I left my nine to five. So I had no employer and I had proven like, cool, like money's still coming in, like everything's still working. Let me see what happens. You know, now I'm fully connected. This might help me grow. And so I threw a grenade in my path. You know, everybody knows Hunter. Nobody knew Zach. And I mean, my almost year one. So it was June was when I hit my one year of leaving my uh, actual employment. And I was like, all right, let's let's do this. So I tried nuking it. You know, I came out of Zach, killed Hunter. And uh, my angle was that eventually this is the long-term win. I can go further as Zach than I can as Hunter. You know, I can share my military service as Zach. Hunter never served in the military. You're not going to find any records. As Zach, I can share everything I did. It's all true. I, I like that's the beauty of what you know, the angle of living authentically. I had nothing to hide. It's not like I was like, oh, I'm a Navy SEAL. And then you're like, oh, actually, you're an engineer. Like, no, I was an engineer. Like I shared what I did. I didn't embellish any of it. So there's nothing that could be exposed by being Zach. But I was in a position where, well, once I dropped Hunter and came out of Zach, not only could I connect better with those who followed me and share a message where people were like, Yeah, this guy's connecting, he's dropping his pen name. I could also start reaching with people publicly. Hey guys, here's what I do for a living. You know, or hey, here's a speaking engagement. Let me show you who I am. Instead of this weird, you know, your whole website says Hunter, but you say that you're Zach and, and who's who and what's what. You know, it's a, it's a confusing dance I had to do a few times. But by getting rid of Hunter, I opened up so many freaking doors and I dealt with minimal blowback that it just made sense. I think there's a quote by Mark Twain that says something like, if you always tell the truth, you never have to remember anything. That's and so honestly, I, I do share with people that I have a crazy memory, like, like crazy bad. <laughs> so I wouldn't be able to keep up with lies anyway. So it's just easier for me to just tell the truth. You know, like I'm not saying I'm six, four, I'm five, eight. I'm not saying I was like some great student. I was a terrible student. Like I've shared, you know, in, in Florida, we were talking about one of my approaches is the eight mile approach. You know, I, I share my failures. I share my success. I share my flaws. I share my features. And when people come and meet me, what are you going to say to me that I haven't already said to you? You know, what, what can you use against me that I've not already put out in the public? So there's nothing that can really come back and bite me. And that allows me to live free without worry. A lot of creators are worried every day that somebody's going to find out their, their big sham. You know, they're writing about family, but their family's a disaster. They're writing about being in shape and they're just fat. You know, there's a lot of people online who have this fake idea of, of what their life is, you know, electronically. It just is not cohesive to what's truly happening in the real world. And it's like, I don't know, there's some cognitive dissonance going on there. Yeah. I mean, especially if you're promoting some sort of ideal of masculinity and you're hiding behind a pseudonym, it's like, do you really follow your own ideal? It's like when I go to the gym and I see a fat trainer, it's like, do you know what you're doing? Like, <laughs> I mean, that, that is a thing for me. You know, it's like if, if you're putting, if you're supposed to uh, expect your clients to be putting in the work and looking a certain way, shouldn't you be being the example for them? And so, you know, having a pseudonym kind of 
it creates that kind of barrier. Like, who are you really? It, so I've, I've got this new filter. You know, if I can't talk to three people that have met you in person, I'm not like, you're not in my club yet. You're, you're on the outside of that circle. You can join my circle. Like you, you and I have, we've sat down, we've eaten together. We've shaken hands. You're inside the circle. I know you. I don't know everything about you, but I know enough of you. And we've had enough conversation to where I have a good idea as to who you are. And, you know, throughout our years of discussion, we'll get to know each other better. But for right now, I can vet and I can speak on your behalf to others. Hey, this guy's legit. You know, we, we've, we've spoken, we've met, you know, he's legit. So there's that element of it can only be had in the real world. And if for whatever reason, I've got a friend of mine who lives in England and he's, he's inside that circle, but I know men who've met him. You know, and he's a close friend of mine where we're like 99% there. Once we shake hands, it's like official. But I mean, he's inside FOE, but we've never met. So there's still that small degree of separation to where it's just not official yet. You know, we haven't consummated the friendship of being men, you know, male friends together. And I think there's some truth that people should start really putting more emphasis on that. It's like, if you're going to follow this person's advice that they're giving, are they living it? Like, are they telling you how you should live in a life they want to live? Or are they sharing a life they're living and the results they've gained from that? It's two different things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like to say, uh, vibe don't lie. You know, when you sit down with someone, you sit down next to someone, you see their body language and you see their posture and you just feel what it's like to be around them and the way they use their tone of voice and stuff. There's more communicated in that than you can probably read in an email or a post. And, you know, this is not to... This is not to uh, to insult the, the many of great creators who are working, you know, pseudonymously. But I think there's also something to be said for to hold their advice lightly and seek out men who authentically mirror or, you know, transparently reveal who they are in their own struggles. I think you realize in that as well, that a lot of them are way cooler in real life. You know, like Jack Donovan comes to mind. You see that dude's photos on Instagram and he's like in the desert, he's doing stuff in Utah, like all these weird like temples he finds and builds. And you're like, that's, that's a cool dude. And then you sit down and meet him. You're like, oh, dude, you're way cooler just sitting down and talking to you. Like, so you realize that they can't even share their true life because you won't believe them. You're like, man, like there's no way, like, th- like 90% of the stuff I share is, is sort of like a, a moment that meant something to me. And I'm trying to share like, hey, how can you replicate those in your life? But if I broke down my day to day with how I live with my wife and my kids, you would think I'm just sitting there bragging or making it up. And you're like, there's no way. But if you come and meet me and see me with a family, you're like, oh, dude, how, how do you bottle up that happiness and joy and put that on, on the internet and share with the world? You kind of just have to experience it and live it. And that's what I want more people doing is experiencing and living these things instead of trying to replicate something they see online. Mm-hmm. Well, in sitting down with people, you see their humanity as well. Like I was very fortunate to get to talk to Jack quite a bit at the 21 convention. And, you know, his... his his persona, I guess you'd say, or the way that they, the way that he summons all these archetypal themes in his photography and his uh, Instagram, you know, creates this impression. It's like, oh my gosh, this guy is like larger than life. He's 30 feet tall, you know, with his golden sunglasses and his giant shoulders, you know, but then to sit and talk to him, it's like, this is a, this is actually a human being I can have a conversation with. And I think that's even more powerful in some ways to kind of begin to de-idolize each other as men and to say, no, I'm just, I'm just a guy. Maybe I am, I have some qualities that you admire or looking for, but I'm just a human being. And I like that about your writing is you share your struggles very openly. And I think that that humanizes you in this very powerful way. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, that's, that's the aim. Like, that's why I'm here. You know, I'm not here to, to build some celebrity status or anything of that nature. It's just to share a story and find like-minded dudes and go out and win together. 
you know, when I left the military, I, I replaced that missing brotherhood and mission with this. This became that thing. And inside the military, it's, it's a round table. Everybody's expected to, to show up and to carry their part, eye to eye, go forward and win. And in FOE and in uh, Twitter, Instagram, wherever I'm working with people, it's that same expectation is that, look, we're, you're not higher or lower. We're all just here trying to figure this thing out and best capitalize on what it is that we have to work with. And I think that I, I try to drive that in the speeches I deliver at 21Con. I try to drive that everywhere in that when you see that somebody else can do it, well, you can do it too. You know, and when you, you might be further in the journey or, or just starting out in the journey, but it's possible. You see what Jack Donovan's done. You're like, oh, you know, those books, the, these, these photos, I can do that. When you sit down, you're like, he's just a dude. He's just a dude doing his thing. I'm a dude. I can just do my thing. And all of a sudden you give yourself permission to go out there and start taking photos or go out there and start working out or, or doing whatever. You're like, man, if this can be done by these five people, why can't I do it? Why can't I make the money? Or why can't I get the photos? Why can't I grow the following? Why can't I publish the book? And it's like, it takes the shackles off of this. A lot of us are, are somewhat neutered and like, oh, I, I'm not that kind of guy. I'm not the kind of guy that could give a speech or go onto your podcast. I'm somebody else. I'm not that interesting. Well, you are once you give yourself permission to be. And I think I, you're absolutely correct. You know, the, the human nature or the human aspect of that, the energy that's transferred when you can sit down and realize that about a person, it's truly not just empowering, but liberating. Like you truly are free to now like, I can do whatever I want. Why not, Will? Why not, Zach? You know? I was reading, I was reading uh, through, and yes, absolutely. I completely agree. And I was reading through the FOE website and, um, you know, I, the word that came to mind is accountability culture. Um, and how powerful that is for men. And I've been thinking a lot lately that there are so many men that just, they don't believe in themselves. They somehow look at these people that they follow online on Twitter or whatever, the people's books they read and it's like, oh, I'm not that guy. I could never do that. And then I'm sure that you see men come into the fraternity of excellence with that kind of attitude. And can you just walk me through what it's like watching or helping these men grow from, I could never do anything to, I'm kicking ass right now. Like you must've seen that uh, several times alone just within the FOE. Yeah. So we've been in operation for over two years now. And honestly, there's no greater sense of life satisfaction or, or purpose in myself than seeing that in other men, especially like, it, you know, it's, it's a little crass, but like when the balls drop, like when all of a sudden you're like, you're a man, you know, and they allow that fire to spread through them. That is one of the most beneficial and motivating things for me to see. And when the guys come in, you know, again, it's almost like they just forgot how to be men. You know, as a kid, you, you want to run and play and jump from the trees and, and jump into the water and, and go out in the rain. and You don't care if you're muddy. And then somewhere along the way, that's beaten out of you. You're not supposed to yell. You're not supposed to fight. You're not supposed to be competitive. It's just pounding, 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 and you just lose it. And it's like you take that fire and you put it into a box and you, you dig deep and you hide it. It's still there. But you're just like, man, it's gone. You know, and you're just going through life and you, you, you got the degree or you got the job and, you know, you're just going through the motions. And for whatever reason whether it's a blog post, you know, you find some breadcrumbs of this guy talking, you're like, oh, that's cool. This guy talking, oh, that's cool too. And all of a sudden, you know, you join FOE and the guys in the fraternity, they're like, hey, welcome to the Thunderdome, son. <laughs> Let's get to work. And this guy comes in, he's like, oh man, you guys are yelling. You're not supposed to yell. You guys are very combative. <laughs> you're very, you know, challenging me on my stances. When I argue with you, you're confrontational. That's a whole new thing. And all of a sudden they start standing up for themselves. They start speaking from the chest. And it's like that, that fire in that box starts to pulsing and they're like, all right, let's, let's dig that up. We're not going to open the box yet, but let's dig it up. And they start, you know, all right, I want this. I'm going to start working for this. I'm going to start working out. 
instead of quitting after that first two weeks, normally when most people quit, I'm going to keep going because these guys in this freaking online group keep talking smack and I've got to show up or they're going to call me out and I don't want to get called out and I don't want to be kicked out of the club. So then they're like, all right, let's open that box up. And all of a sudden, it's a, <laughs> they lit on fire. And then it's just sky's the limit, whether it's fixing their marriage, fixing themselves, their relationship with their children, their finances, their physique, their confidence, their competence. It, it's like their whole soul is on fire. And they go out into the world and all of a sudden, two months later, hey guys, I achieved this thing. And all of a sudden, my neighbor asked me about it. And guess what? That fire that he had, that neighbor is like, those are his breadcrumbs. Hey, what are you doing? Why are you working out? How come you and your wife are happy now? And all of a sudden, he's like, oh, my neighbor is now kicking ass too. Oh, my neighbor and his son are kicking ass. And now my, my neighbor's son's friend is now kicking ass. And all of a sudden, you got all these dudes on fire going out into the world because one person decided to take some action and find a group like the one that I created and just start putting the pieces together to come back and be a man again. I don't even know if that answered your question. I don't even know what you asked, but I kind of went around there. No, I mean, that's, that's incredible because that's everything, that's everything that I believe. That's the spirit of the renaissance of men. That's the spirit of, of why this podcast and why this, the company is named what it is, is because you're describing what I perceive as this renaissance that's taking place in the world of men, this organic phenomenon that's taking place through us and, and tribes around the world, just like yours, if you intro the podcast says that, just like the fraternity of excellence, we're lighting a, a spark of fire and that's spreading from man to man. And that literally cannot be stopped at this point. It has its own momentum and its own life to it. That's just emerging through us. And so, yes, that is, that is the answer to all of my questions. You've answered all the questions. <laughs> so what, if you don't mind me asking, what propelled you to doing this? My own transformation. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I traveled overseas um, for four years from 2016 to 2020. And uh, I, I, I left on March 21st, 2016. I got back on March 21st, uh, 2020, just when the lockdowns hit. And I moved into my apartment and the whole world went crazy. And so in my apartment for several months, I, I, got, in, uh, I got in shape and watched this transformation happen in myself. And in, uh, and in July, I wrote a post called uh, on, my, on, my, on my blog, it's called um, To uh, Lose the World and Gain My Soul. And it was about um, my challenges with cancel culture, this idea that I can't speak up and speak my mind anymore about travel or about the world without being afraid of being canceled. And I said, you know what? Here's all the things that I've done. Here's all the countries that I've been to. Here's all the political activism I've done. Here's all the places I've lived. Here's the person that I've been. And here's the person I am. And damn it, I'm going to speak up now. And I wrote that. And it's probably one of the, one of the best things I've ever written just because I needed to say it for me. And I posted it, I, I put it on my blog and the thing kind of went viral around the world. Um, Jack Murphy shared it to his, he has 60,000 followers on Twitter and it made it in front of a, a, a director of a nonprofit and all these different people were reading it. Um, I know that uh, Ivan Throne has read it, for example. And I saw that and I saw myself reflected in other people's eyes and I realized, wait a minute, I have something to offer people. People are looking at me and my story and the things I've done and they say, you know, they're, they're listening to me as having some authority. And I realized at that point that I had been through my own transformation. I needed to spread it. So that's the story of how this came about. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm, I'm very happy to be playing a part in that and being on here talking to you because it's, it's an amazing thing what you're doing. And for those who listen to this and what you'll continue to do, you'll be surprised how far the reach goes. And honestly, the ripples are going to go beyond the horizon and you're never going to know all the men and probably women that you've helped just by being an example and standing up. So good on you, man. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, I, ha I myself have been rippled. You know, that's the thing is I, I'm, I didn't create this. this. This created me, you know, and I engaged with them. Um, and this, this gets to actually a question I wanted to ask you is I, my first 
uh, discovery of the manosphere, the men's movement in the way that, you know, is expressed by 21 convention would have been in, in 2018. And I actually think it was your book, 31 days to masculinity. That was my first, my very first exposure. It's a great book. Um, and then I discovered 21 con through uh, rich Cooper a couple months later through his post. And I remember the 21 convention having a very different kind of feel, mostly about single men and a lot of men going their own way kind of stuff. And the evolution for the past couple of years has been very much towards families. And I, I'm, I'm not married. I'm not in a relationship right now. Um, but I see you kind of leading that charge. And you've been, how long have you been in the manosphere? Or I don't, I'm not, I'm not, I don't like that term particularly, but we'll use it for now. Yeah, it's a good placeholder. I don't think anybody's found a great replacement for it, <laughs> but manosphere, it works. I know what you mean. I call it the Renaissance. All right. The rena- we're going to go with that then. So the Renaissance of men. I like it. Uh, I, I want to say it was 2011 when I started writing, you know, and I don't know when the red pill subreddit began, but I made my way onto there before it had a thousand people. So roughly whatever that time window was, you know, that might've been 2012, 13. And then from there branched the married red pill. And I kind of shifted my writing there because that was my focus. That's what I knew. And that was, at the time, there weren't many people talking about family that weren't, and I, for lack of a better term, really pussified. You know, it was all about fathers needing to share their feelings more and, and paint their nails more with their daughters. And nobody was talking about like husbands, how do you improve your sex life with your wife? Like without being like a player, you know, without being spinning plates and going on like one night stands, it was like, how does a husband with a long-term connection of a woman how do you bring that around? You know, how do you keep that hot and fresh and, you know, exciting while leading a son to be a man, while leading a daughter? How do you balance all of that while making more money, while dialing your physique, you know, and all of a sudden we started sharing all these stories and then, I mean, it all kind of just evolved from there. It just started with a bunch of dudes talking smack on a forum. I mean, but, so you were on the, the married red pill subreddit. And sort of like this, this kind of snowball started rolling back then. But, you know, you had had all these ideas before then, right? Like this had been the life that you were living in a way, or was this your own process of transformation and, and discussing these ideas like, oh, I need, I need to do this now that I'm saying it. it. So I've shared, you know, through high school, I was not a very confident individual. I was not a very competent individual. There's a lot going on there. Then I joined the Navy and then I started living like this. And then I, I was still at the tail end of my naval career when I discovered the, the, the Renaissance and started writing about it. I was like, this is cool. Like, I want to be with like motivated dudes. And then I left the Navy and I was like, I want to keep this going. Like my friends, they weren't doing, they weren't like having the adventures that I was used to having, you know, they weren't as like driven and like hyper-focused on like just going out and doing things and achieving So I was like, well, how do I find that? Where do I find that? What's wrong with men? And all of a sudden I started talking, like, why are why are marriages sexless? Why are kids disrespectful? I mean, all the questions that we're addressing now, I was asking then. I was like, look, there's something wrong. We need to fix this. And there, like I said, there weren't many family-focused individuals. So that was really my angle on it. And it was a lonely road. You know, I almost ended up shutting it down, actually. It was Ivan Throne who pulled me back from that, that edge. But I just, nobody was supporting it in any way. Like, they were just like, no, shut the hell up. Stop talking about this. Nobody cares about marriage. You know, you're... If you're married, you're weak, no matter what, you're always a beta man. If you have children, you're, you're, you have all the responsibility, no authority. And I was like, what is wrong with you guys? Like, so I just kept writing more and doubling down, doubling down, doubling down. I was like, look, families have a place in this. And there are men who want families. Why are we going to just disregard them? That just doesn't make sense to me. And that's all I know. 
I can't talk to you about Tinder. Tinder. I don't know anything about Tinder. I don't know anything about dating. I've been with my woman since I was 16. I'm only sharing my message and a lot of men are supporting it. So why are we just trying to brush those men aside because they're not the ideal or living some fucking fantasy where everybody's like, oh, you know, we go out there, we're going to pick up all these tens. And we're like, dude, that's not reality for a lot of men. A lot of men want a one woman and they want to start a family and they're okay with that. You know, so you have the playboys go do your thing. I'm not knocking you, but let's not knock us. You know, let's not just, you know, lump all the family men into this group of lost causes for men. So that's, that's how I kept writing it. <laughs> that's how I got to the point of, you know, like I said, I stuck it through with Ivan and it seems like a lot of family men are kind of waking up and asking the questions I was asking. But at this point I had the answers for them. Hey, check out this blog post. Hey, check out that blog post. Hey, here's my group. Hey, check this out. They're like, cool. And it just spread from there. And then to have, you know, Anthony Johnson started the under 21 convention. So he was 17. He's evolving as a man. You know, he's going from, you know, like women and just picking up women to as he's getting older, he's probably wanting a family. You know, I think he's openly said at some point he does want to find the right woman to have the right babies with. And I think a part of that is him seeing, you know, hey, there's a market, you know, where a lot of men are in that boat as well. Young men coming up are men who currently have families. And he wanted to create something for that. And then from there, you know, he created the 22 convention. So he, it's been an evolution of his own as well. And I, I'm incredibly proud to be a part of that. Because it's cool to know that there's a convention out there for fathers or father-focused men coming down the pipeline to help them be aware, prepared. You know, these guys have resources that I didn't have. I was shooting from the hip. Now there's how many blogs out there were like, yeah, fatherhood, yeah, family. I'm like, yeah, I remember when it was like me with my one flag by myself. It's good to see this giant wave coming forward to help these men. Did you ever think that you would be an innovator like that in your life? No. <laughs> I thought it was too much of a spaz to do anything. I usually pick it up, put it down and just move on to the next thing. But, but when, when the going got tough, the tough got going, you had people coming at you saying, why are we talking about this? You know, when you have a community of men coming at you saying, I don't know, you're dumb, you're weak or whatever. It's really easy for a lot of men to kind of back down, but you found a new gear. Yeah. I mean, I'm a pretty stubborn dude. And it's almost like I probably would have quit if there was no pushback, but because there was pushback, I was like, no, I've got to stay with this now. I can't give up. You know, I can't let them win. And all of a sudden it just became a thing. But I mean, when you believe in something, you kind of just like, oh, I'm just going to do my thing. Like I believe in this. But when other people are trying to tell you not like you're not allowed to believe in that, it's like, whoa, there, there's probably something to this. We should step back for a moment. Why would you have an issue with me believing this unless me believing this somehow threatens what you're doing or somehow goes against a narrative that's trying to be pushed. And I'm not going to let that happen. You know, I'm not going to let somebody push their narrative onto me. So now I've got to reinforce, you know, the walls. I've got to reinforce the message and just double down on every single thing. And there was a, a point I remember and I was a moderator on the married red pill and there was something going on about marriage. And I was just like, so frustrated with it. So I wrote a post called, I would do it again, which meant I would go, I would go get married again. And they lost their minds. It went crazy. And like, it was kind of like a jab I wanted to, I wanted to throw a hook. I didn't expect it being as big as it was, but basically <laughs> like it was crazy. You know, marriage is a, a rough deal when you have nothing but people talking about divorce rape. And when there's only a one-sided discussion about how bad it is and it's a bad business contract and that's how they view the whole world. And the family part is completely removed. The, 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 the fact of saying it's one template for all and they just totally disregard the woman. They disregard the relationship. They disregard everything else. It's just marriage equals bad. And I was like, I'm not 
a binary dude. I cannot get, get along with this because it's a popular thing to say. So I sort of ostracized myself from that group somewhat and just kind of went and did my own thing. And then the family alpha took off. And now we're here having this discussion. So talk about the role that Ivan Throne played, because I, I get what you're saying about needing that force feedback, just kind of shooting arrows off into, off into the darkness. It's like, is anything actually happening? But when you actually feel that pushback, it's like, oh, okay, I'm actually, I'm actually pushing against something and there's this questions there. But you mentioned that Ivan Throne played a big role in, uh, in you choosing to continue with what you're doing and, and what role did he play in that? So it was, I want to say it was the 2017, so the first 21 con. I had planned on giving my speech and that was it. I was going to be like the phantom into the night, you know, this dude just, Hunter Drew showed up, gave a speech, talked about families and then just disappeared. And I was like, yeah, I was just flowed into the sunset, you know, I was going to do my thing. And Ivan, it was like three in the morning, four in the morning. And he was in, we were in one of our hotel rooms, just sitting, drinking, talking smack. And I was like, yeah, like I'm done, man. Like, like people don't want me here. I enjoy what I'm doing. I'm fine. Like my family is doing just as well. If I'm not writing as if I am, I wasn't making any money off it. I my, my following wasn't growing. I didn't have like affiliate sales. Like there was no incentive outside of my personal desire to write that was keeping me there. And he, he started talking about the messages I had received from other men. He's, you know, I've, unfortunately, I don't say this with any sense of pride or anything of that nature, but I've received many messages of men saying they were at the end of their rope. You know, they, they were done. And the only reason that they're still breathing is that they came across a post of mine or they found a sense of purpose or they, they found a reason to go on because of something I'd shared about family men being okay to make it. And that just because you have a family or maybe your family failed, you know, maybe your, your kids are split, you know, you're all divided, you're divorced, you know, you're broken and you're just alone. I wrote a lot about, well, you can still find purpose in yourself. You know, you can still just harness that fire. And it's, it's not about the people. It's about you. If you're good with you, they're kind of auxiliary components of your story. You know, so you've got to focus on yourself. You've got to make sure that you're worth investing in and taking care of. And, you know, those messages I'd shared with Ivan, I was like, yeah, man, like, it's crazy. Like what we're doing, like, we're literally like some lives are being saved because of this. And he's like, yeah, well, what if they didn't find your work? What if they had, what if they hit that wall, they hit that dark place and they, they never crossed your resource and they're in that hole and they don't see a rope. So they grab, you know, whatever means they have to end it because they're in that abyss and they don't see a way out. He's like, that's on you. He's like, and you can leave. You can delete it all right now. He's like, but understand you'll always have blood in your hands and you'll always think back to all those men that got left behind that, that didn't have that resource. You're always going to think of that. And I was like, damn it, Ivan. <laughs> All right. I don't want that. I don't want those men alone. I don't want anybody feeling that sense of isolation or, or like they're truly alone in the world. And nobody gets them. And that, that truly does stick with you. You know, the ones that, that slip through the cracks, I can help a thousand men. If I lose two, I think about those two. I think a lot of men are, are they think that way. It's like, man, I could have done more. I should have done more. You know, I didn't do enough. And I have that sort of complex within myself. And so I, I heeded his advice. I was like, all right, I'm going to stick around, man. Like there's, there's too many men out there that are suffering for me to just walk away. It'd be a very selfish thing of me to do. And so I stayed and it's only grown from there. I hear you saying a lot of really, um, really wonderful things about the notion of responsibility. I think there are a lot of men that, that um, are afraid of responsibility. They're afraid to take responsibility for their marriages. They're afraid to take responsibility for their kids. They're afraid to take responsibility for other men. 
And what I hear you describing as a man is like, no, I shoulder the responsibility of, of keeping a, a fresh and happy and exciting marriage with my wife. And I shoulder the responsibility of raising, you know, happy and, and disciplined kids. And I shoulder the responsibility of, of uh, creating a better, better men for a better world. Um, that's, I mean, that sounds really incredible to me. Have, have you always been this guy who's, who's taken so much on? I would say, yeah. I mean, that's just my personality. You know, I'm the oldest sibling. You know, I've got two younger brothers and a younger sister. That's just the role I play. My mom passed when I was young. My grandmother raised us a lot. You know, I was the man when my dad was gone. My grandfather passed away shortly after. So it was literally my grandmother, me, and my two younger siblings, and then ultimately my third younger sibling. So I think there is a, a component of that inside me. You know, you feel a sense of duty and entitlement to others. I'm not a Sigma male. You know, I'm a, I'm a very pack animal. I don't do well by myself. I do well in groups. I do well with the fraternity of excellence. I do well with the 21 con. You don't really see me kind of do my own thing. You know, maybe a podcast by myself or a blog. <laughs> Outside of that, I'm with my family. I'm with my friends. I'm with, you know, my fellow content creators. You know, there are uh, solid men who do well by themselves, but I'm not one of those. I'm a pack oriented animal and therefore I've got to take care of my pack. And if that means throwing them on my back and walking through glass, so be it. When we get there, I'll make them strong enough to do their own work. <clears throat> work. But until that point, you know, I'll help them build themselves up and grow that strength and grow that sense of personal accountability and then let them run on their own. You know, you don't want to be the, the life source for others, but when they're in a dark spot, you've got to be able to give them your light and your energy, build them up and then send them on their way to become their own beacons for others. And that's sort of the role I play. And you mentioned that you were in, uh, you were in the Navy. Um, I imagine that gave you a good chance to kind of discover some of those skills and, and how they work out in the world. I mean, you learn a lot about leadership. You learn a lot about personal accountability. For myself, I learned that if you believe in you irrationally, like if, if, if no matter what the odds are, if you believe that you can get it done, you're going to succeed, especially in the military, because you've got everybody every day telling you, just quit. You don't have to do this. You know, just stop. You can fail. You can coast. You're like, no, like, I don't want to do any of that. I want to win. And therefore, I just made that a part of my personality. As I was the dude, I'm either going to win or I'm going to go down trying to win, but I'm not going to try to get by, you know, just, just coasting or living on my knees. Like I'd rather die on my feet. So I've never been in the military, so I don't exactly know what it's like in that kind of scenario. But can you, can you talk about a time where that really showed up for you? When it's like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this. The, when I first left MEPS, so the place where you swear in and everything, I was in Boston. And they put you onto a plane and I flew out to Illinois uh, I think I landed somewhere in Chicago and then they, they bust us up to great lakes. And it was there that I made the decision that nobody knew me up to that point. You know, nobody knew how shitty of a student I was. Nobody knew how insecure I was. Nobody knew, you know, my, my past about, you know, like I lost my mom to suicide when I was six, you know, my dad was in the Navy. So he was in and out, you know, I was raised by my grandmother. We weren't that, we didn't have that much money. Nobody knew any of that. And I had carried all that with me. And that was part of my identity up to that point. But I remember on that bus, we're pulling up to this building and it's just like these yellow streetlights. And then you get off the bus and there's just people flipping out, screaming at you. And I was just like, yeah, I'm not going to be that guy anymore. Like, I'm going to flip a switch here and I'm going to just change things. And I did. And I just started answering confidently and I started just doing what I had to do. And it, it, boot camp isn't physically hard. A little mentally, you know, it's just because you're away from home and you're constantly being yelled at and being told to do things a certain way and a lot of instructions in a short amount of time, but it's not difficult. 
you just literally just become like a robot and go do your thing and you'll win. You know, you'll, you'll make it through. But there was one point where they asked for different positions. So you had this dude, he led everybody with marching. He called the commands. You had this dude who was the yeoman. He wrote everything down and did the paperwork. And there was a role for, uh, they called it the athletic petty officer. So it's the person who led all PT and it's the person they put against all the other athletes. So you had to represent your group. And one of the, the RDCs, he called, you know, who's the craziest dude in this thing that wants to become the athletic petty officer. And like, before I knew it, I was standing in front of everybody else screaming me. I was like, ah, you know, let's go. Seaman small, whatever the hell I was going by at the time. And then I had to face off and like, literally I became like a psycho. I would like try to outrun everybody. I would try to out pull up everybody. I'll push up everybody racing around tracks. Uh, when you had to lead PT, you had to yell it. And I would yell like veins blowing out of everywhere. And the other guys just couldn't keep up. So when we'd cross them or we'd have to PT against them, their athletic guy would go like, oh, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'd be like, let's go, you know, and lead my crew. And like, I'd just go nuts. And I was like, screw it. You know, like, that's me now. Like, I'm just going to be the crazy guy. And then you go all the way through our last week of inspections. They, they run this test. You have to know your general orders. You have to have your uniform squared away. They're basically checking to just make sure you know something before you leave. So it's the last week. It's the last inspection. I'm standing at attention. They're inspecting me and the chief's walking around. And at that point in time, a chief, which is an E7, is like, God, like you've been like, you've been there long enough that like you're somewhat brainwashed and you're like, oh my God, a gold anchor is walking in. So you're standing there and in your eyes, God is in front of you and they're inspecting you. And he asked me my, I want to say it was my seventh general order. And I, I barked it out like super confident, super loud, shoulders back, eyes forward. And I gave him the wrong answer. <laughs> so I bark it out. He nods his head. All right, good job. And moves on. And in my head, I'm like, what? Like, what just like, oh my God. And like, I don't want to show it. So I'm just standing there like super confident, but inside my head, I'm flipping out. I'm like, oh my God, I just failed. Like I just ruined it for everybody. I got the answer wrong. If they know nine things and the one thing that was asked to me, I got it wrong. But I said it so confidently and so fast and so sure of myself that I convinced him that I was right. I think he was listening for me to waver or falter in my response. And then he would know like I got to pay attention, but he's probably thinking they either know it or they don't. And for someone to bark it out as, as rough as I did and immediately as I did, oh, he knows it, moving on. I based my life off of that moment now. Mm. I am so confident that even if I'm wrong, I'm going to convince you I'm right, unless I'm actually wrong, and then I'll learn something. But that's how I believe in myself, that even no matter what position I'm in, if I believe in something, I'm giving every single thing I have to that thing. And, and right or wrong, I believe in it. I believe in me. And that's why it's irrational. You want 30 men to come fight me? I'm probably going to lose, but I think I'm going to win. I'll go down taking as many people with me, and I think I can win, even when I'm getting my, my butt pummeled and I'm on the ground, you know, beaten in a pulp. I think I got a chance. I can still move my limbs. I, I got a chance. And I wish more men had that. Me too. So as you're, I'm thinking back, um, as, you're, as you're talking about this, I'm thinking about how we talked earlier, how you became from Hunter Drew, you became Zach Small, or you returned to being Zach Small. And I'm thinking, I was wondering at the time, you know, as you close that, we'll just call it an integrity gap. As you close that integrity gap and stepped into yourself and said, this is my name, this is who I am. Did that kind of permit you in that moment to draw this irrational confidence sword? Like I'm going to charge because you're imagining that, you know, the hordes are going to come at you. I'm going to get doxxed and swatted, like you said. In that moment, as you decided to become yourself again, did you give yourself permission to draw this sword of irrational confidence and go charging into battle, kind of like Aragorn at the end of the Lord of the Rings movies? 
it it was mentally, yeah, it was like that. <laughs> like I'm like, you know what? Let, I remember clicking the button. I'm like, go, let's do this. And I'm I'm ready for anything to come my way, you know. But it was the last piece of the. It was like the last thing, you know. You can do all these these hundred things perfectly right. Like I was saying, you can help a thousand men. You lose two, you think about the two. I've done a thousand really good things, but the fact that I wasn't using my name bothered me so much, and I finally just tipped it and it fell. And I was like, all right, there's nothing. I have nothing left to hide. I have nothing left to give you. Like all of me is out there. All of me is in the message I'm delivering. And all of me is, is going out. And this is the hill I'll die on. I'm trying to help men help themselves. I'm trying to help families be, be tighter units. I'm trying to help that fire of authentic living, stay alive in a world that wants conformity. Now, how does the same spirit show up in your family life? So I know how it shows up at a place like 21 Convention or the Fraternity of Excellence. How does the same spirit show up with your kids or with your wife or with your treatment of yourself when, you know, when the camera goes off and the microphone goes off? It's pretty much this, except I, I yell a little bit less. <laughs> so the way I get here, you know, this, if I was talking to my son about something right now, I'd have the same level of energy. But my, my kids have that same belief in themselves. You know, my son, if... If I were to introduce him to you, you'd say, hello, Mr. Spencer. And he'd be probably pretty shy. But if you grabbed a baseball or something, or if you watched him go into a baseball field, it's like a freaking heart of a lion comes out of him. And he's like, let's go. And he's trying to lead his team and he's all motivated. It's awesome. You know, my daughter, the same way. She is such a, a beautiful light in this world. And when she goes out, like there's nothing, she fears nothing. She has a father and a brother that she knows will crush Anybody that stands up. So she's like doo -doo -doo, floating through life, happy as can be. She doesn't allow the world to have her worried. Some kids stress out about things. Some kids try to like hide. Like she's just a light and she's happy and it's awesome. And my wife, in the same way that I kind of go out and do my thing, she refuses to be held into a box. You know, she was a daycare director making a lot of money. Like she was doing quite well for herself. And she's like, this is taking me away from the family too much. You know, I, I want to do something else that allows me to be more involved with the kids and on their schedule. I was like, let's do it. So she left what a lot of people would view as a successful career and started doing it. She started being an EKG technician. And then she's like, oh, I don't really like this. You know, everybody in the hospital, you know, they're not. So she left that and started another career. Now she's a realtor. She just goes through life and she's like, I just want to try new things. And she's always looking for the next thing and having a good time and just kind of exploring. And she doesn't really kind of latch herself down or anchor herself to any like position in life. She wants to be a good mom and a good wife. And she kind of just does other things in between to kind of keep her entertained, but she's never afraid of trying something new or putting herself out there. You know, she recently released a, a fitness challenge she's doing and she's trying to lead uh, these 10 other women through this challenge. And she's like, I just want people to be happy. She's like, I, you know, she, she's found ways of, you know, uh, dialing in diet and dialing in uh, habits throughout, you know, she, she's sober with me. So when I drop booze, she dropped booze and she's trying to share like, Hey, we, even though it's Corona and it's 2020, the year of crazy, you know, she's like, we can just live our lives and have a good time. So she's out there trying to lead other women to doing this. And it's that, that fire, it exists in all of them. And like I said, you know, it's my job to ensure that I've got that limitless generator to keep them going. And even when we're all like kind of relaxed, it's intentional. We're connected. We're not worried about the world. We're not just sitting there, you know, pounding processed foods and, and just always watching Netflix. Like we watch family movies. But well, we do things together as a family. We're active together, you know, and it allows us to have connections. So when we're at the dinner table, we have something to talk about. We, we have a, memories together to reflect upon. So they, they're just like mini versions of me.
Now, how do you keep this endless generator going within yourself? Because I can imagine there are men listening to this and they're saying, I want that life. And I think it's pretty clear that life comes from your heart, you know, Zach's heart outward into the world around him. That's how I'm hearing what you're saying. So it begins with you. How do you keep that endless? How do you ignite that generator? Or how would you suggest men ignite that generator? Or surely you have days where it's just like, oh, I just can't do it today. I just don't got it. How do you spark that generator? up, And how do you keep it going on a daily basis? I talk to men like you. I mean, I, I interact with other people that are doing it. Too. Like, how could I not show up if you're going to show up? How could we, how can we not do our job and say, oh, talking is too hard. There are dudes right now who are fighting and hoping to come back home alive. Like our jobs are easy. We're sitting and hanging out. You know, when I go outside from here, it's raining right now. I walked in the back, I grabbed my, my table that was in the backyard out in the rain, my bed, had to bring it inside. And I was like, man, like, cool. It's raining. Like, all right. I brought the kids out. We kind of walked around a little bit, played, looked at all the leaves that fell down. You know, life itself is the motivator. Like whether it's raining or sunny, it's a good day because you get to experience it. You know, I pet my dogs. Do you think my dogs like, oh, yesterday sucked or oh, it's raining today. It's like, no, they're dogs. They're happy as hell. Live like them. That's, that's sort of my aim. <laughs> I live very dog-like. I'm in the moment. You know, there are a lot of things in my past I could say that's holding me down. But at some point I decided to take ownership of my life and act like an adult. It's not my parents' fault. You know, I, I had bad habits 52 weekends in a row. You know, you can't blame your parents for you not going to the gym for an entire year. You can't blame, you know, you got, you got beaten as a kid. You can't blame that as to why as an adult male, you don't take care of yourself. You don't read books. You don't do anything that's going to bring you to a positive place. There are people who have been in very tough situations. There are people who have been sexually abused, physically abused, mocked, cheated out of, you know, family affairs. I mean, there, there is so much trauma that's happened in adults' lives that might be listening to this. And there's every reason in the world to look back on that and say, that's why. And I refuse to allow that to happen to me. And to anybody listening to that, you just have to say, look, that did happen, but you are still you and you have control over the wheel of your life and you can steer it where you want to go, but you've got to make that decision because once you grab that wheel and you take that turn, you go where you want to go, it's all on you. And that's a very, you know, you are your problem. You got yourself here. You are also the solution. You can get yourself to where you want to go. I've decided to get myself where I want to go. And the only way another person could ever replicate that energy I have and that, that, that infinite resource is for them to grab the wheel like I did and start steering and start going in the direction they want to go. And when you do that, you can't help but just feel like life is good. I don't like, like I said, I mean, my freaking scroll of shit that's wrong with me is long, but I don't, I don't let that define me. It doesn't stop me from where I want to go and what I want to do. All I have is today. I could die at the end of this freaking podcast walking out there hit by lightning. So I'm going to, I'm going to live today. Well, I hope that doesn't happen. I hope I didn't just jinx myself. <laughs> You'll be fine. <laughs> but I'm saying, you know, you know what I mean? Like you never know when it's over. So just do everything you can while you can. What's the role of other men in that process of living that way? What's been the role of other men? Cause you mentioned that the way that what helps you show up is talking to men like me. And I'm sure talking to men like the fraternity of excellence, what's the magic that happens between uh, men who are struggling and their interaction with other men? Only men know what it's like to be a man. So that that's the biggest role they play is true accountability. Your wife can say, hey, you know, you're eating too many snacks, keep you accountable like, diet wise. Your kids can say, hey, you haven't played catch with me in a month. So they can keep you accountable when it comes to involvement in their lives. But as being a man, 
acting like a man and filling your role as a man, only other men can hold you to that standard. In FOE, if I slip, I'm called out. I have men I can call that I can't talk to my wife about certain problems I have. If I'm struggling with, with identity, if I'm struggling with a sense of self, I need to talk to my bros. <laughs> I need to talk to the guys because only they're the only ones who will get it. And when you remove a man from men, he has no one to keep him accountable. He loses that lifeline. And all of a sudden, he just starts to atrophy. It's like that box, you know, you put it back inside and buried it up. Nobody's going to pull that out of him. No woman can pull that out of him. No children can pull that out of him. Other men can. So you have to have that connection. And like I said, whether it's fraternity of excellence, it's your church group that's local to you. It's your neighbors. It doesn't matter where it comes from. For some people, it's their softball team. I know men who are in a flag football league. It's that. You know, they go and those are the men like, hey, it's good to see you. Glad you're here. Keep working out. Whatever the case is. You lose that connection. You lose that masculine fire that you have as a man. So I grew up and I didn't have, uh, I didn't really have any male friends. I think I might've made my first male, like good male friend when I was uh, maybe 21, 22 years old. And so it took me a long time to get really comfortable being around men. And I'm, I'm, I'm quite happy now to, to do that. In fact, I live in a world of men now with all my friends. So I imagine there are a lot of men out there who are afraid of being around other men. And how do you, how do you bring them into the fold? How do you let them know like, no, it's, it's okay. Like maybe safe isn't really the right word. Um, but certainly there's a spirit of safety. There's a spirit of camaraderie, brotherhood. How do you bring men like that into the fold? Because I think you and I would probably agree that there's an assault on male relationships in, in our culture. And I, I identify it particularly in the word bromance, this idea that two men can't love each other without it being somehow romantic, you know, or, or sexualized. Like, no, dude, I love you. Like, why is that weird? You know, that I identify that as one symptom of it. So a lot of men have this fear of being around men. How do you, how do you bring them back closer to this, the circle of the, the fire, the perimeter, as Jack Donovan might say? So you have to lead by example. You know, when it comes to that, when I hear that, I can't tell you how many times both men have called the fraternity of excellence. You know, what are you compensating for? Or just like a bunch of gay dudes coming together and you're all some homoerotic, you know, fantasy going on there. Or women. Oh, you bought that big truck. What are you compensating for? Oh, you got to go to the boys club. What do you, what do you, what do the men talk? Oh, I'm such a tough guy. They're always mocking men that come together. Always. They make it gay. They make it somehow uh, compensating for, for uh, small uh, male parts. You know, it's always something of that nature. That's a jab at men. Why, why men? Why are you getting together? Why do you need each other? Always a negative. That, that bothers me to no end. And that's why men have a, they have a hard time reaching out. The way it works for me though, and this, this happened at 21Con, I'll share a story. I'm like, yeah, you know, uh, if you haven't had sex with your wife, you know, we, we, you really got to address this. You got to stop, you know, letting all your, uh, your body hair grow out. So it looks like Jumanji. I was like, shave that man. You smell like shit. And they're like, oh my God, that's so uncomfortable to talk about. I was like, well, you got a manscape. And all of a sudden they're like, you can talk about that. You could talk about, you know, the, the things we're not supposed to talk about. You talk about religion, you talk about politics, you talk about sex. You know, I've shared my mother's suicide. People are like, how do you talk about this so openly? Because there's so many freaking men who can't. They're, they're so afraid to bring up anything personal that they won't. Dude, I have found myself having conversations about things I never in the world thought I'd be talking about. You know, people who are addicted to porn, I never planned to go on the anti-porn campaign. But a bunch of dudes kept messaging me. They're like, oh, you know, I, I'm addicted to porn and I don't, that's why I don't have sex with my wife. I, I, I'm releasing all that tension here to pixels and I'm like, oh my God. So, all right, let's have that talk. Let's, it's super uncomfortable, but let's have that talk. And I've helped men break that addiction. 
you know, and that, that goes for anything from, from alcoholism to whatever. I share it as an example as to it's okay to share your failures. The only way to fix your weakness is to identify it and let it be known. If you tell me your squat sucks, cool, let's work on your squat. But if you tell me I'm, I'm, oh, I'm good, everything's fine, everything's strong. Okay, I can't help you. I have nowhere to help you. You're not, you don't need my help. And then these guys, they don't get the help they need because they're afraid to admit they need help. And it's just this vicious cycle that just keeps them going lower and lower and lower. And these other guys who admit their weakness, which sometimes they view as weakness itself is admitting that you have a weakness. But when they finally admit it, they start fixing themselves. And this dude who will not admit it is going down. This dude who admitted it, even though it's embarrassing, starts to improve. And that gap between the have and have nots widens. And it's like, did you really win by not admitting you were losing? No, of course not. You don't get the help. So these men who need it, these men who've never had male friends, just find the guy who's talking about whatever it is you're, you need help with, whether it's porn, whether it's working out, it's diet, it's improving your sex life. Hey, hey man, I'm struggling here. What are your recommendations? My DMs are flooded every day. <laughs> every day I'm getting an email or DMs on all these freaking platforms about the various things in the world and various successes and failures of men. And it's really cool to see those who admit, I suck here. That way I can be like, hey, try this or check this blog post out. Like, oh, that worked. I'm better here. High five, go kick ass. You know, it's that easy. But these guys, they build this wall. They get stuck in their head. Where do you think that wall comes from? I mean, I guess probably... All the people that chastise them. I think all these people that talk shit about men who like, you're supposed to be perfect in all ways. And if you have anything wrong with you, just shut up and be happy. You know, you're not supposed to want more sex. You're not supposed to worry about those things. You know, don't talk about religion or politics. Don't talk about any of these issues you're facing or your addictions or anything like that. Those are all supposed to be swept under the rug. Here's your crayons. Go sit in the corner. Shut up and color. That's what the message a lot of men are being told. A lot of young men, you're too hyper, you're too aggressive. Take these pills, calm yourself down. Take these drugs, numb yourself a little bit. Like, Jesus, these guys, you know, they grow into these adults who are like, well, I should pop pills and drink. You know, I shouldn't talk about any of the issues I'm facing. Mm -hmm. Well, that was my story as you know, having this internalized idea that men are responsible for everything that's ever been wrong for the world and men are terrible and therefore I'm terrible and therefore I need to be in a state of constant apology for myself and constant shame. And it wasn't until I left the United States and left that kind of psychological field that exists here that I was able to, I went down to South America. I have very different attitudes towards masculinity down there. And I began sort of deprogramming myself from a lot of these ideas, like where did all this come from? And it was, you know, that was a very long, that was a four-year process, a very intense process to get it all out of my head because I got a lot of it. And then I woke up from it and said, holy crap, I've been asleep. It was definitely like a very you know, Neo in the matrix. Like what? And so I can, I can identify very much with everything that you're saying about you know, the need to get these ideas out and to reach out for help, to help from it. And I've been helped by countless men along the way to, to getting to a point of, of the inner freedom that you're talking about. You know, it's my hope that a lot of these, especially the fathers, you know, my, my angle is obviously family. A lot of these men who either have children or plan to have children, they help prevent that from ever taking root inside their child's mind. You know, a lot of men, you know, they say that wars begin in the minds of men. Therefore, it's in the minds of men, which peace, the defenses of peace must be constructed. You know, it's in the brain. It's in the mind. That's where we have to start. And if you can fix a father's mind and he can fix his son's mind and his daughter's mind, well, that child doesn't have to undo years of damage. They're, they're thriving and they see it. And like the way you, it took you four years and the lens popped and it's like, you, you can't unsee it now. You just see it everywhere. And I'm, I'm the same way. I can see it everywhere I go. I can't turn that off. Well, these children are going to come up having always seen it. 
they were never blind to it. They were never, you know, they didn't never put that lens over their eyes. They could see reality and therefore they adapted and therefore they stayed ahead of the curve. And where you and I, you know, going up, got smacked down, had to rebuild us back up. You know, these kids just go on a trajectory that is just going to bring them to new heights and to their family name is going to go to, to new balance that we don't even know of. And that's what I hope for my children. I hope that they reach heights that I don't even know exist. And I'm setting a high bar. So for them to surpass that, it's going to take a lot of work on their end, but I'm giving them all the tools necessary to succeed. And what they do with it, I certainly hope when they become adults is they take it and they build their empire and it's amazing. You said two things about your kids. I think it was in one of your talks at the 21 convention. You said about your son, I'm not raising my son, I'm raising my son's son. And what you said about your daughter is I, I hope to be the kind of father that she wants to bring a man home to vet, you know, to say, hey, dad, will you check out this guy for me and tell me what's going on? Sort of that you're, you have this long-term thinking going on in terms of who your children will become as they become adults. I'll just talk more about that. With my son, it's, it's almost easier. I've been a boy. You know, we, we know what to expect from boys. You've been a young boy. I've been a young boy. You know, we went through life rough, tough, and tumble. And it's my expectation of him that he constantly strives to set that standard from which excellent will be, excellence will be measured. I want him, in whatever he does, to be the, the pinnacle of that thing. If that's baseball, he's going to play his heart out to be the best baseball player. If it's building rockets, same thing. You know, whatever it is he does, he wants to go on adventures, be like, you know, uh, Huckleberry, Huckleberry friend, Tom Sawyer, go on your adventures, little buddy, go do your thing all in all the time and never sacrifice or never compromise your integrity for the convenience or the comfort of another. And when he has a family, I expect him to be involved in their lives. I expect him to give presents. I expect him to have a woman who's complimentary to him in his life. And she's not his mission and she is not the end goal, but she might be a part of that journey. It's funny. He told me he doesn't want to get married. He just wants to play baseball. And he's going to adopt a kid named Kevin from an orphanage and they were going to play baseball together. And like, all he wants to do is have a son that he can teach base. Dude, it's the craziest story in his life. If it plays out, I'll let you know, <laughs> but he wants to help a kid come out of an orphanage, name the kid, Kevin and teach him baseball. And that's his life. So that that's one story. <laughs> how, old is, how old is your son? Just to get a sense of right now. He's 11. He's 11. Okay. That's like totally the most 11 year old thing. Like I'm going to adopt a son. I'm going to name Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> When he came up with it, I was like, what are we even talking about right now? But for my daughter, it's the same thing. You know, she's not going to be defined by being a girl. You know, her if she wants to pursue science or, or STEM, let's say, uh, degrees, it's not because society has said, we need more women in STEM. It's because that's what she wants to do. And if she wants to take care of animals or follow in her mom's footsteps and and you know, do like her own little side business of crafting and, and realty, whatever the hell. All right, do that. And when she has a family and she finds a man, I'm not going to be that fake alpha sitting on my porch, cleaning a shotgun. Oh, you know, you're dating my daughter, have her home by, by 8.59. If it's nine o'clock, you know, your ass is mine. Like what? Am I, am I going to shoot a teenager? Like, are you serious? Is that really like the image I'm going to? No, I'm a man. I don't need to put on any front as to being a man. I don't need any exterior rifle to show that I'm a man. My daughter respects me as a man. So bring this boy into the house. This is my father. You know, dad, I'd like you to meet whatever the fuck, <laughs> whatever the fuck. Here's my dad. And that's how it will go. And my expectation is that she's bringing young men that value the things we value. You know, just recently she came up to me and she said, hey, uh, my friend's dad, you know, I'm going to see if he likes to work out because he has a big truck and he likes guns. But if he works out, I think you guys will be best friends. And you can see just in that little remark, 
she's, this is what our family does. Our family works out. I've got a truck, you know, we have guns, we shoot. So she's like, that's what good families do. We eat healthy. We do these things as a family. You know, I give them my presence as a man and not just presence as in gifts. My wife does the same. And it's my expectation that my daughter, when she has her family and children, she's not worried about physical things. She's worried about memories, connection, unity as a family. And I want kids that want to see me when they leave the house. I have a friend, Anthony Migliorino. He writes at Peaceful Fathers. And his thing is, you know, I want kids that when they grow up and they move out, they want to come back. They want to come visit their dad. I don't have to call them. Hey, I want you to come see me. I want my children to be like, oh, I love you, dad. Of course I'll come by. You know, there are too many families that are just split and like, oh, I got to go do my thing. And I don't want that. I want my children to have a great life coming up. I want them to go out and be successful. And then until I die, my wife and I will just be a part of that. And we'll help them raise their babies. And then they're, they're great, great grandbabies and all that. That's what we're doing. This isn't a, all right, I raised my kids 18, get out of the house. Like, this is our legacy. This is our family. And this is our tradition. What do you say to people who would say, you don't have the right to do that. You don't have the right to tell your kids what to believe. I've never had anybody say that. <laughs> if somebody told me I don't have the right to tell my children what to believe, I would say you're correct. I, I, I'm not going to tell them. I don't tell my kids what church to follow. I don't tell them what they have to do. I show them what I'm doing and what our family does. They don't know any other way. So oh, I don't say, son, you have to eat your vegetables. Hey, this is dinner. We eat vegetables because it's good for us. And they're like, oh, okay. That's the end of the discussion. When they become teenagers, you know, there's a lot of, I guess, bridges we haven't crossed yet because they're young. They're 11 and eight years old. But to anybody that pushes back on, oh, you know, you shouldn't have your kids. Uh, they should be able to eat whatever they want. Like, What's wrong with you? They're children. Somebody has to be the adult. Somebody has to set the standard. I love when my kids talk shit to family members and friends. Hey, that's not healthy. Mm. Hey, my parents, I love it. I'm like, hey, don't, what are you going to do? You're going to argue with my kid? Are they wrong? No. So if you came in and you're pounding donuts, they'd be like, oh, okay. This guy likes donuts. I'm good though. I'm going to have an apple and go do their thing. We have a certain way of doing things and they stick to that. And even when we're with other family members or anything, you know, they know what right looks like. And if somebody offered them, you know, limitless supply donuts, they'd have one. Because I'm like, hey, you can have a snack. I mean, they're kids. Like, we're not against, like, it's not going to ruin them. So we do allow them to have those freedoms that a lot of other people have, but we don't take it to the extreme other people take it to. We allow them to kind of flex and learn. And you know what? There have been times where I'm like, sure, you want that second one, you're going to feel sick. Then they have it, that, that second piece of cake or at a birthday or something, and they feel like ass. On the way home, they tell me, oh, I'm sorry, dad, you're right. I shouldn't have eaten that. I was like, it's all good. You know, you'll feel better later, but next time, now you know. And guess what? They learned a lesson. Food is fuel. It shouldn't be like a carnival that you have every single day in your mouth. It reminds me of a, another thing I heard you say, a nice distinction that I like that you raised, the difference between being dominant and domineering as a father. So to speak, if you could speak a little bit about that. Absolutely. I, I really dig this conversation. I've had it a few times and people, they really don't get what I mean initially. Like, well, what do you mean? They're the same thing. No, they're not. A domineering man uses fear. A dominant man uses inspiration. I don't hit my kids. I don't slap them. I don't spank them. I don't call them names. I don't touch my kids. Like we don't believe in corporal punishment. My wife, I don't yell at her. You will do this because I'm the man of the house. That's not my style. 
my wife and children follow my lead and the standard I set, one, because I live it. I embody the message I share with them. And two, I don't need to use any form of, of coercion or fear to pull that from them. They follow because I'm setting a good example and I'm showing them why we do things a certain way. They want to follow. They're happy following. We have a very happy family. And we look at other families that are nitpicking each other and hypercritical. And we're not like that. We're like, well, why? Because we don't need to just sit and jab at one another. We want each other to win. We have fostered an environment a, where I, I take a dominant role in leading my family. But I'm also embodying, I'm emboldening them in the process. So this goes back to the energy. You know, I go and I, I seize things. I, I do my workouts. I try to eat right. I try to live my mission doing things like this with you, you know, and then I go home. No, I'm not go home. I walk, you know, 15 steps to my left. I see them and I build them up and I embolden them to go out and do the same thing. I want them to win. My wife, I'm like, look, quit this job. I don't care about the money. I want you to live a good life. I want you to, you know, have time for the kids and to fill your mission. My children, if, if they didn't want to play sports, they wanted to build rockets. I'd put them into like Elon Musk's rocket camp and we would go out and we'd try to win those competitions. If my son, you know, people get real weird, especially when you talk about a dominant man, they're like one of the, the immediate responses is like, well, what if your son or daughter was gay? If my son was gay, we would be doing the exact same thing. I would like my, neither of my children will identify as their sexual preference. If you're, if they're gay, they're straight, they're what the hell, I don't care. You be the best you, you can be. You follow your mission and whoever your spouse or partner is, they can join you on the mission and they can be complimentary to your message. I don't care. This isn't some hyper masculine, like fake alpha thing. I don't like that. None of that concerns me. I want my children to live good lives. I want my wife to live a good life. I'm trying to live my best life. And together, there's no need for anybody to be stamping on anybody else's throat saying, this is the way I'm saying this is the way and they're following and the results are speaking for themselves. That seems phenomenally brave. And uh, because it, there can be a lot of risks for being an independent man in the world today. An independent, I mean, independent thinking, independently defining your own values. And that was the root of my question. What do you say to someone who can't, you know, who says you're not allowed to tell your kids what to believe? And that's the root of the question was more about like, no, I'm going to think independently and construct my values independently based on my own, my own ideas and my own reading and my own research. And I'm not going to listen to what culture says. Like, what do you say to those people who are like, no, you have to do what culture says you have to do. This is what culture says is right. There's, I was just talking to my wife. I don't think my kids could go back to public school. <laughs> you know, we, we homeschool now and they are so, they question authority. Why are we doing this? And if they went to school and like, you must wear your mask or, you know, whatever, or, you know, Trump's bad. They'd be like, well, my dad says, and I, I could just picture them saying that like every five minutes to their teacher, you know, like all the, the issues we have as a society going on, you know, my kids, if they were to counter my political beliefs. So let's say, let's just use Trump and Biden because that's happening right now. If I was like, all right, Trump and my daughter came in and my son, like, no, Biden. Okay. Let's talk about it. I don't need to change their minds. They are independent thinkers. I'm not raising them just as son, daughter, child. That's a future man. And that's a future woman. And that's the level of respect my wife and I give them. And look, tell me, if they come to me and say, I want to be Buddhist. Okay, but tell me why. Let's talk. I want to have a genuine conversation on all the reasons why you think that's right. I'll share with you why I think this is right. And we either meet in the middle, I change your mind or you change mine. And that's, that's just how it works. 
you know, but nobody is going to push their ideology onto my children. Like that is my job. I am the wall. If they decide to go with that one, I support them because they told me for this reason, this reason, this reason, I believe this. All right. I disagree with you, but I support your decision to do this. That's the beauty of America. You do not have to follow my path. My path is mine. Your mother's path is your mother's. And you two are going to go and get your machete. You're going to bushwhack your own. I support you. If you do something I disagree with, I'm going to tell you. And if, you know, we don't always have to agree. And as they get older, I'm, I'm positive that's going to come up. But it's not my job to make them clones of myself. It's my job to foster that independent spirit and that always questioning, why are you doing what you're doing? Objective self-analysis is a huge thing that's lacking in adults nowadays. People can't audit themselves. They can't look at themselves and ask them, well, why are you doing what you're doing? Do you truly feel that way? Or did you see somebody on Facebook do it? And you think, well, I don't want to disagree with them because I'll be ostracized from my peer group. Fuck your peer group. Live your life. If that's unacceptable to your peers, you've got the wrong peer group. <laughs> if they're trying to keep you in this comfortable box, comfortable mold, well, are you really living your life? Or are you living? Are you being the person you think they'll like? And that's just no way to live at all. That's not even living. That's just getting by. I don't want to survive. I want to thrive. Yeah. I, I, uh, earlier you mentioned that men are living in this little box. And when you did that, I mean, we're audio so people can't see. You held this box close to your heart. Like men keep this box in their, in their heart. And then just now you, you, you did your hands in a different kind of a larger box, this kind of larger box that we all kind of live in conceptually, culturally. And I think those are two really interesting ideas. All the boxes that we kind of have to live in um, as, as men, also as people, but as men that we have to learn to break out of in different ways. I mean, absolutely. There's, there's layers to this. I mean, when, when you talk about, you know, the Renaissance, that's not being good at one thing. That's, that's, that's the entirety. And there's a lot of subcategories inside that pyramid, you know, and there's a large foundation, you know, to me, it's being a man, that, that is the foundation of this. That is where you are strong. When I say physically strong, people think bodybuilder. I'm talking just capable. You just take pride in your physique. You don't have to have abs. But as long as you're living a, a capable life and you are a functional adult man who's not obese and incapable of performing, you'll never see the tops of mountains if you can't climb the mountain. Be able to climb the mountain. From there, you've got your lover, how you interact with the opposite sex, how you interact with the world at large, your love of life, not just women and sex, but just life in general. How do you love as a man? That's the next one. And then the pinnacle to me is the patriarch, to being a father. Because now you have literal life you have created and you've got to guide that. And do you know how freaking stressful that can be at times? Like you're, you have this beautiful life you want to, to do well and you see all these shootings on TV or you see all this chaos, you see all these riots and you're like, I've got this ball of happiness and light and you just want to protect it so much, but you have to let it go into the world or you'll snuff it out. And that's there's such a, and I'm living this now, letting my kids ride their bikes down the road. You know, I recently, my wife showed me a story of this girl a couple of towns over just walking home from school and a dude snatched her up and you're just like, it makes me physically ill. And I don't even like to play the what if game of my kids because that, that would put me into a very dark place as I'm sure you can understand, but that's the world we're in. And you have to balance at the top of this freaking, it doesn't get easier to climb the pyramid. Being a man's easy. Shutting yourself off to the world is easy. It just exists. Do your thing. A lot of men are stuck there. Some work their way up to love. Some work their way up to loving nature, to loving the world, to loving women, to loving their family, you know, to just loving life. That's, that's hard. And then harder yet is to raise an, an individual being in a shit world and just keep that fire and that light alive for as long as you can 
And hopefully you strengthen it enough to defend itself if it's ever put out or, or tested in battle in any way, whether that be environmental, like a hurricane coming through. California has fires. How many parents have lost their children to just the chaos that is nature? You know, it's just, it's sad. And there's just so much happening in the world. You know, it's, I want to say frustrating. It's not frustrating. It's just a part of life. It's just a very delicate balance you do with life. And that's to me, the, the apex of, of the total totality of a masculine man or, or a Renaissance, a man of Renaissance, you know, capabilities. That's awesome. I really like that. And I, and I, I pick up very clearly what you're saying about creating the walls of your, of your home, you know, your, your castle, so to speak, and letting your children, letting the lights of your life out there into, into a very dangerous and uncertain, uncertain world. And, uh, and the amount of strength that that takes, you know, to, you can do your best with them. You can do absolutely, and no one can, but let's just say you do absolutely everything right. And there are still factors of life that are out of your control. That is like the most terrifying aspect of it, of all of it. If my kid wants to climb a tree, I'm the fun dad. Like, sure. You want to jump off that rock into the water? Do it. You want to climb that big ass tree? Do it. You want to ride your bike around the block though, where I can't see you? My heart sinks. My heart like fall because I'm not there. You fall out of that tree. I can pick you up. You drown. I can jump in the water and save you. My son literally almost died three years ago. I saved his ass. I can do that. That's what dads do. But for them to be away from me, it's, you just have to get over it. You have to trust that they're going to make it and they're going to come home. And that, like I said, that is probably the worst part of all of it that people don't really like to talk about for obvious reasons. It's not the best subject to discuss, but it is a part of life that men do have to navigate and women, mothers too. It's probably harder for them. That's their babies. Well, I was actually going to ask you about your wife, about the, about the role she plays in all of this dynamic. Like you've got the very strong masculine patriarch, which we'll get to that word later because I want to talk more about that word because it's such a powerful word in so many ways. Uh, spirit that you've cultivated in yourself and cultivated in your, in your home and in your family. What does your wife bring in uh, to the picture? So she is everything I'm not. You know, she is soft where I'm hard. She's nice where I'm mean. She, she worries where I don't. And there's probably a healthy balance to that. Like I said about the, like, those are real examples. There's a big ass rock that my kids jumped off and into like a mini lake. And I was like, go for it. She's like, what if there's a stick or rock under there? I was like, I'll save them. And you know, there's a giant trees that we have. And I'm like, go climb it. She's like, no, don't climb it. So I've always got to let her, like I pretty much override. I'm like, you got to let them go. Like you have to let them do these things. Sometimes I will give a word of caution listening to my wife. I'm like, all right, guys, you know, jump over here and out over there. But ultimately she is very complimentary, you know, to my message. She supports what it is I'm doing, especially when it comes to leading the family. She's like, yeah, you know, we eat healthy. We work out. We both. We know that our children will follow our example and not our advice. So we try to set very good examples of what not just a man is and a woman is, but how men and women react or, or interact rather. You know, it's like your right hand, left hand. You can, you can punch heads, which a lot of families do, or you can open up and you can come together, which is what my family does. And we show our children that, you know, but it's, she goes through her own challenges as well. You know, being a woman in our modern society is not the easiest thing either. She's constantly being told how, how much wine she should be drinking, how she should not be homeschooling. She should be stressed out because the kids are homeschooled. That's all you see on Facebook. Oh, my kids have to Zoom. I'm so stressed out. You guys are all the reasons mommy drinks. You know, some moms call their kids little shits and they're like all oh, these, like they treat the, their offspring like they're, they're these negatives. And I'm like, 
repulsed. And my wife is too. She's like, that's disgusting. Like, no, I love my kids. Like they're fantastic. I love being around them. So she's an excellent balance to me. And when I find myself, like there are times where I'm like, I just want to go middle fingers to the world. Like we're, we're moving to a mountain. We're disconnecting. We're unplugging from all this bullshit. And she's like, no, <laughs> we need to have some sort of connection. We need to stay involved. We need to help others. And there are times like, like with Ivan helping me out, there are times where I just want to blow things up and I'm not, not like the family alpha. I don't want to quit doing this. I love what I do, but I'm just like, I just get pissed because people aren't living up to their end of the bargain. You know, you always want to help somebody, help somebody, help somebody. And that person is never helping themselves. And I just want to go nuclear. I'm like, all right, you're dead to me. She, she's the balance. She comes in and like, she's the treaty person. She's like, no, we can, we can all get along, you know, whatever that case may be. So she is a very, very good, uh, co-pilot, if you will. Like I said, I've got, I'm driving, steering the ship. She's kind of doing my navigation. She's looking out for any rocks or any icebergs we might hit. That sounds beautiful. I mean, it it works. It works really well. That sounds like it does. And you guys started dating when you were in high school, right? Yeah. 2003. Wow. And has it like from the, from, from the jump, has it always kind of been like this? I mean, obviously you're both much younger at the time and you've grown a lot in the years since then, but has, has, have seeds of this dynamic always been there? Have, have, you, I mean, obviously you've grown I mean, you've probably seen her grow. How's, how is your relationship? Like describe that journey. for me. We have been literally to the highest of highs and the lowest of lows together. You know, she was, she was with me when, when I was at my worst, you know, when it came to, to personal confidence, she was at me at my best when I'm like, I am now I like, you can't, nobody can touch me. <laughs> like I'm just doing me and I'm, I'm at the top of my game, you know, as a relationship, you know, we don't have the, the white picket fence Disney story. Like if, if you followed ours, like it's like absolute disaster. You know, it was like there's love and there's hate and there's, there's happiness and sadness and everything that makes a man and a woman. It's the best way to describe it is like what happens when a, a immovable object meets an unstoppable force. Like we just work. And like I said, but we, we're complimented. Like we come together and it's this weird fusion where we're at our best together. And I'll do things like 21 con. She didn't go this year because that was for me and the men. And when she had things to do with the kids next year, she'll go. And then you guys can kind of see that interaction. But I, I try to balance that. You know, I've got to do things just for me. She's got to do things just for her. And we do things together and that works. And what surprises a lot of people is because of the nature of my job, I share a lot of just things we go through, you know, every now and then she'll get shots of me doing something. I'll get a shot of her doing something. And we kind of share that but we're also very, very private in how we deal with things. We don't share big moments. You know, there are a lot of things my children have done that I've never shared with the world. There's a lot of things between her and I that I, it's not for the world. It's just for us. And because we've kept that division, we continue to work and it never becomes like, Oh, let's, let's smile for the camera and show the world. We're happy. Like, no, if you see a picture of us smiling, it was a genuine in that moment smile. And I think that has helped significantly you know, with me being able to do what I do, you know, I don't ever want to put on a show. You know, when I say I'm Zach, I'm Zach, uh, I'm authentic. I'm not like, Hey kids smile. All right, go, go back, go away. You little shits. Like, I'm like, that's just not how it works for me. So with her, I've been able to maintain that same sense of attraction. And because I run with these guys, like I was saying earlier, because I have my group of men, yeah, I can talk to them and we're swapping notes. Like, Hey, how do you keep it fresh with your lady? I've been with her since I was 16. I've been with her over 50% of my life. I'm 33 now. So we're, we're going on the other side of that 50% mark. You know, that's a long time. 
yet we're still in every category of what makes a man satisfied, checking the boxes. She's still, when I'm done with this, if she's home, she'll probably come out with a, a cup of coffee or she'll have made me something. Hey, did you want a snack? I made this for you. She loves to do things for me. I love to do things for her. And then we just come together and it works. It's very, like I said, complimentary. But if people think it was, you know, sunshine and rainbows, that's not reality. You only really connect with a person. You only really know a person if you've gone to war against that person. Like, you, you, like I said, highs, lows, when you do all of that, you kind of have the full spectrum of who they are. And only then can you decide, do you love them? Can you describe, is there, is there a time that you feel comfortable describing when you guys went to war, what you got out of that? Dude, so yeah. In, when I found out, when I went to boot camp, she cheated on me. Oh, wow. I didn't find out until eight years later. Wow. And the only way I could go and handle that and even process that was I cheated on her. Mm-hmm. So she cheated on me in high school. I came back, didn't know anything. Eight years later, I, I pulled it out of her. And then I was like, well, I, I can't deal with this. Like she broke my heart. I mean, I was a broken man. And we went to war, we went after it. I was like, all right. For eight years, I had exactly what I wanted. For eight years, I had the wife and I, it was sick. It made me sick to my stomach. But I was like, I understand why this happened. I was such a sad man in high school. I was on the five-year program. I was unmotivated. They didn't care about anything. I wasn't confident. I had all the, the checkings of the box of just a, a weak male. And then when I came back from boot camp, I was like cock diesel, shoulders back. I did not give a shit. I had my mission. I had my focus. I was laser focused on life. And I think she saw that and she's like, damn. So then she, hey, I'm staying with this guy. But I was like, no, like eye for an eye. And I'm not a good person. Like, I'm not going to like share this story of like, I'm this like fucking Prince Charming. Oh, I'll do the honorable thing. I was like, no, you hit me. I'm hitting you back. You know, and I did. So I, I went out and I did my thing. I found somebody, some other lady. We did whatever. And then I threw the ball back in her court. I was like, how do you like it? Mm-hmm. Now you decide, do you want to keep doing this? Do you want to keep going forward? Or do you want to end it? I don't care. And then we both kind of just, we fused together. That was six years ago. And now we're literally at the top of our game. And it's funny. It's, it's fucking weird. And I get that for anybody listening. I get how off it is, but that's life. You know, that, that's just how things like whatever. That's how my story got to here. And we're together by choice and not obligation. And I wonder how many married couples are together because they don't want to separate for the kids or they don't want to separate because of their community might shame them or their religion might shame them. Where my wife and I were like, we're together because we want to be. We both had every reason to leave the other person and we stayed. And it's not some weird codependency. It's because we knew we needed the other person or we enjoyed what the other person was bringing. And I'm not going to find that in another woman. You know, I'm not like, she's not going to find this in another guy. So we both know what we're bringing to the table. We both know how we interact with one another and we're both familiar with one another. So we both made the decision. All right, let's keep doing this thing, but let's not pretend, you know, it's all sunshine and rainbows. Like this is life. There, there is scarred and mangled and like mutilated armor on us, but we're still here. And honestly, now we're at the top of our game going forward. And it's, like I said, we took the long way, but we got here. Well, I can validate that, you know, just looking at the photos that you post on Instagram of you and your wife and the, the shared light that's in both of your eyes is, is obvious in the photos. Like you're, you're two sets of eyes, one look in both of them. And that's always a sign of a, a great and healthy relationship. And so I, I can see that in your photos. And so I, I, I believe very much in what you're saying. 
um, and I know the truth of it. And I just, I'm curious, just what would have happened, do you think, to you if you hadn't taken that step? Because I think a lot of men would be like, okay, well, it's just my thing to go deal with this. But you're like, no, I'm, I'm, you did this to me. I'm going to do this to you. Like, what do you think would have happened if you hadn't stepped out in that way and, and done that, even just for you? I, I think we would have been divorced. Oh, wow. Yeah. I don't think I could have healed. Like, I, I had to settle the score. I had to make it even. You know, and I think that's the only way I personally, like, all right, we're good. And honestly, it was, it was sick. Like, it's like a mental sickness. But I came back and I was like, hey, here's what happened. I'm not mad anymore. Now, now I'm, I'm ready to move on. But now it was a whole cascade of now she had to figure out what she wanted. But until that point, dude, I was angry. I was angry. I was, I was frustrated. You know, I felt betrayed. I mean, obvious, obviously, you know, betrayed all these things. When you're a man on that level, the only thing that can really hit that hard in that spot is a woman. The only, the only way you can be betrayed is like somebody, a family member, somebody that is inside your closest circle being able to pierce your heart. It's like smog on Lord of the Rings or the, or the Hobbit. You know, you've got all these scales, but you're missing one scale. And the only person that could actually hurt me was the person that could shoot that arrow through that one scale. And that was her. So that brought me down. I built myself back up. And the only way I could get back at her was the same way. And that, like I said, that sort of brought us to a blank slate where we had to decide, who are we after this? You know, what do we do after this? Now that, that the, the facade of, you know, white picket fence, Disney house, you know, once that's all on fire, who are we? And as you see now, you know, with the, the Instagram, going back to my point earlier, that's not like a woman who's got like the, the face of a clown or the makeup of a clown on with a smile painted on, but she's actually crying behind it. Like she's at her best right now. And I'm at my best. And that's a genuine joy. And people hear it and it, they're so quick to judge or so quick to think, you know, oh, well, that, let's disregard everything. Shit. You'd be surprised how many people have gone through, you know, uh, infidelity or have gone through horror stories to get to where they are now. Like, that's just a part of the story. And if, you know, she cheated, I was eight, 19 when it happened. I cheated. We were 20 something when it happened. And now we're both 33 at the top of our game. Life isn't fucking normal, man. Like, like there's not one script you can read from that's successful. Because if you look at what we're doing, you'd think that's unsuccessful until it works. How the hell did that happen? And I don't have that answer except for how my story played out. And that's helped a lot of men realize like, look, it's not the end of the world, but you do have to make some changes. You do have to carry on. And that's where you realize, did you make her your mission or was she a part of it? And for me, suicide was not on the table. Like that, that never crossed my mind. You know, but if, if I hadn't had the males in my life that I did to turn to, if I didn't have my upbringing where my mother had committed suicide and it was kind of like a familiar thing to me, like death is what it is, I could see how somebody could turn to that because it hurt that bad. Well, I think you're ultimately telling a really hopeful story because I think there are a lot of men, we were talking about the men that living in the, the box in their chest, they're afraid to break out of the box. And they think to themselves, looking at their story, oh, I could, I could never do that because I'm too much of a fuck up. Or, you know, I've screwed up this and made, up, made this mistake with my wife or this mistake with my friends. And it's like, no, you make mistakes and you move on from them. You know, you do what you got to do to get past the mistake because the mistake itself is the journey that you have to go through to get to the other side, to get to the other side of the river, I guess you might say. 
and and live a, a good and full life. And that's what I hear you describing. It's like in the same way that you say, I'm not a perfect man. I disagree that you're not a good man. I think you are I think you're a good being a man and I think you are I think you are a good person. But so I just need to push back on that a little bit. But there is something to be said for the way that we cut ourselves off at the knees and say, Oh my my sins and my mistakes are too great to ever recover from. And just how fatal that is for for men. And so I think it's very powerful for you to say, you know, in our relationship, you know, in your relationship with your wife, we made the greatest mistakes that any married couple can ever make. You know, I can't think of a greater one. And we got through it. And now look how, look how fantastic we are. We're better than ever before. And we needed to go through that. And I think a lot of men need to hear that message. You know, as you're saying that, I realize we're not defined by the mistakes we make or the things that happen to us. We're defined by how we respond to all of that. And I don't know if that sounds cliche, but the reality is, if, and this goes back to what we were saying, if you suffered childhood trauma, you're not defined by that. You're defined by what you do with that. And for some, those anchors, those perceived anchors, those can be turned into fuel. That can become your motivation to live harder, to, li- to, live, to go to greater heights. You know, that thing that you think is holding you down, it's just a shift in perspective. Like, no, that's actually the, the, the springboard that's going to push me to new heights. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's a lot of my experience in the past is with childhood trauma and healing that in myself and recognizing you know, to go into that trauma and various healing modalities. Like my, my therapist, Jamie, is, is a great example. He's taken me to many of those places. I've also worked with plant medicines and done very, you know, done various, um, various uh, meditations and new age training and stuff like that. That's taken me into the heart of trauma and going in and experiencing it on a very deep and visceral level and recognizing my own strength and carrying it and surviving through it. If that alone, you know, like to, to experience wounding as a child and recognize that the reason why I was wounded is because I was so empathetic as a child and I took on, you know, my parents fight, for example. It's like, well, no, that's, that's actually an empathetic quality that I had as a child. I wasn't mine to take on, but it's still a good thing that I can own now. And I, you know, I could have let my traumas define me, but I decided to, like you say, turn them into fuel, turn my mistakes into fuel and, and to, to live a better life because of them, not, not despite them or, or not to cut myself off because of them. And it sounds like you have the intuitive sense of doing the same. Like I had to be taught that. You seem to know that just kind of intuitively, which I think is pretty cool. I like how, as you're going through and talking about your empath abilities, you know, that could be your greatest strength to working with other men too. When you can feel their pain, when you can feel their message, like physically, not a lot of people understand unless you live it. But when, when I talk to certain guys, I'm like, oh, like that, I, I'm with you. We're connected. There's a bond. For you, whether it's speaking to people who guests like this on the podcast or interacting with them, you know, one-on-one basis or in person, that's a skill. And it, sometimes it feels like a curse, but it's a gift. You know, and you're like, man, I can, you can get somebody the way nobody else could because you're able to relate on that level. As long as you keep it open, you shut down that empathy because you're like, I don't want to be hurt again. Well, now you can't help again as well. So there's two sides to every one of those coins and every decision we make. So you can try to save yourself, but that's going to hurt another. And you've got to decide, can you save yourself while keeping those channels open? You know, and that's, I guess, another phase of life. That's another thing you're going to learn about yourself as you go through this. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's very similar to the notion of dominant versus domineering. That same inner strength, that same, I'm not quite sure how to phrase it, that same sense of power can be used to be you know, power over somebody, or you can use it to have power with somebody like, no, like you can have, it's like, you're doing this because I say so. There's also like, nobody, we're doing this together. That's power over versus power with in the same way, having this, I guess, emotional empathic ability can be very debilitating. 
um, in some ways, like, oh, I'm just taking on so much from this person. But it's like, no, I, I can, I can, I've learned over time how to process it, and let it flow through me rather than, rather than bottling it up and taking it on for myself. And these are the different skills that men bring to the table to create this kind of healing and transformation for each other. And that's another reason why the Renaissance, like we're all artists in our own way of transformation. I like the way you bring in the term artist there. I was going to say, you know, when you speak, it's almost like those are your brush strokes. You know, you're painting an image when you speak. For me, when I write, each word is a, a stroke. And it's my hope at the end of the, the blog post or the book, you see the image I wanted to paint for you. You know, and, and at the end of this podcast, it's, it's most likely, I'm, I'm going to assume here, your goal is that each of these conversations we had, it paints a picture for those listening for them to see like, all right, now, now what are you going to do with this image? Now that you see, hey, here's a way to approach life. Do you take that and do you run with it? Using that as fuel, using that as your motivation? It's amazing how many different men are taking these different angles to create their art. Mm-hmm. Like Goldman Unleashed, Jack Donovan, you know, with photography, that's a, a picture. You know, Jack Murphy, the way he's going out there and sharing his videos on what's happened in the political landscape. It's like a, a capturing, you know, back in the day, they would paint these, these Renaissance photos, you know, and now we're, we're, we're watching it play out. And these men are sharing it on their angle. And it's, it's our version of art we're bringing to the table. And it's our, my hope and your hope as, as artists that people are seeing these photos we're trying to create. They're seeing these images, not, not just seeing them though. They're, they're taking them and they're turning it to action. Like, all right, I saw this beautiful thing and I either want to replicate it in my life or want to use it and create something, you know, in my friend's life to help them. So they take our art and they, they apply it their own way. And now somebody else is improving. Now somebody else is seeing the big picture or at least on that subject. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the whole, that is very much the spirit of, of the Renaissance of Men is to say, to painting all these individual artists that have their own individual takes. Like I see behind you on, on, the, on the wall behind you, you have a sanction by Roman McClay, that poster. And I'm reading that book right now. And that is very clearly an artistic man in so many ways, you know, who has his own approach to creating transformation and then through surfacing through his writing, which is more than just writing a novel. It's a, it's a work of art, a work of philosophy, a transformative work in itself. That's his art. And then, you know, Zach Small has his art. Jack Donovan has his art. You know, you mentioned that, uh, your wife, I think you said her name is Jackie, is going to come to the 21 convention. You know, Tanner Guzzi brought his wife Rakaley this year. And it was so powerful, I think, for many men to see like, this is a healthy, whole, happy relationship in front of us that we can ask questions of. Like, how powerful is that to be able to reflect that to men uh, who, who maybe don't believe in it? You know, and these are the different ways. And, and of course, Tanner also has his, uh, his personal style business, which I've been you know, greatly blessed by his wisdom in that. Um, so these are the ways that we're bringing all of our art to the table to create this, this renaissance, this transformation. And so this is the entire spirit of what I'm doing. When I, when I try to explain it to people, it's like we're all showing up with our own flashlight on this, this subject. And the, the subject is life. And when you get all these artists shining their own light, you get a much better view as to life. Like you get to see, oh, what's on that side? Hey, Will, you tell me what's over there. I'll tell you what's over here. Now we both have a better perspective on what it is we're working with. You know, you throw Tanner and his lady, a Brickhaley in there, you know, people get to see like, oh, well, that's this perspective from here. That's interesting. I didn't even know that was an angle. I didn't even know that was a possibility. All right. You know, and then like on and so on and so on, you get all these artists and all of a sudden these people who are doing more than just watching pro sports and consuming, you know, conformist TV, they're actually talking about life instead of, you know, a distraction. Like, wow, this is actually there's actually a purpose to this. There's a point. There's a reason we're here. There's something beyond just us and, you know, our comfort. We're, we're, we're participating in, a, in an essential historical moment. That's what's going on. 
you know, maybe it doesn't look that way right now, but to go to 21 convention and see all these incredible, high energy, high performing, high integrity men talking about life very openly and talking about the transformation and growth and wanting that, that's, that's, I mean, that such a thing exists is, in, is literally incredible. It's literally incredible. And uh, that's why those events are so exciting to keep feeding into that. It's amazing. In between those, in between the speeches, in between the meetups and everything, you get to see what the person's doing. But now that we've met for like, you were talking about my Instagram, for you to see my Instagram, you're like, oh, there's Zach doing this. Like it's a different layer because now you can see the man behind just the story. When you're at the podcast or when you're sharing, you know, your photos, I'm like, oh, there's Will doing, like I can see you taking the action and not just observing a moment in time. I, I see more of the story because I know the person behind the story. And I think that's why it's so important. We, we not only have conversations like this, but the real world meetups, shaking the hand, breaking the bread, sitting down, having the discussion, smoking the cigar, drinking the drink, you know, whatever it is, you see the real person, you connect with the real energy there. And while this is great, you know, we can see each other and we can hear each other. It, you get the full energy when you're in person. There's no medium that's kind of blocking some of those vibes from reaching one another. And in the real world, that happens. You get the total package, you know, for better or worse. You know, you, you'll decide when you meet the person. Hopefully they live up to the standard you've set in your head. Though, I will say that you'll, you'll usually undershoot it. People will be like, oh, this guy's cool. And then you meet him, you're like, no, he's wicked cool. You know, or this guy's awesome. No, he's wicked awesome. He's, he's really creative. You know, people don't, maybe we're reserved in that sense. You don't want to, you know, put too big of a expectation and then have it come short. But I think a lot of people, they, they sort of protect themselves by saying, oh, you know, I, he's probably a good dude. But when you sit down and you meet him, you're like, damn it, that's a great human being right there who's on a real mission. And that was my experience with all the men at 21. Whenever we do the FOE meetups, it's always the same. You're like, man, like you're real dudes. You're really getting after it. Like that's, that's really cool too for me because it just fuels you. You don't want to be the weakest link. You don't want to show up to the next 21 or our next, next time I see you, you know, like 40 pounds heavier after you lost all that weight. You know, I don't want to be sloppily dressed, you know, or getting worse after talking about Tanner. He'll chew us a new one. You know, so nobody wants to be the weakest link. So that's a form of accountability. Our tribe is keeping us moving forward. So next time we meet up, we're at a higher standard in every sense of the word. Mm -hmm. oh, the, uh, I like this, uh, this idea that you have your local tribe of accountability, the fraternity of excellence, and you have this larger tribe of accountability in the, in the, whole, uh, in the whole renaissance or in 21 convention. Um, and that's, what, that's actually what uh, the energy of you in person is what drew me to walk up and speak to you in the first place in the hallway. Because, uh, you know, I, of course, I follow you on Instagram and I'd read some of your blog posts. But to see you speak in person and see how much high energy and how much positivity, how much positivity and how much power and passion that you brought to your speech was really incredible for me. Like, whoa, there's much more juice and energy coming out in this moment. So that's what motivated me to, to come up and talk to you in the hallway in our first, our first real conversation. Dude, that tripped me out. <laughs> our, our mutual, people don't know, our mutual friend Jameson had sent me a message saying that I needed to meet this renaissance of man guy. And I was like, all right, if I, if I see him, you know, I, I don't know. He's like, no, no, no. He's uh, you got to listen to his podcast and he's at the convention. I was like, oh, cool. You know, maybe I'll cross paths. And then you and I were talking completely separate and you showed me a card that had the Renaissance of, is it men or men? Renaissance of men. Renaissance of men on it. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> it was like one of those like mind blown moments. I was like, I was literally, I had to show you the DM. I was like, dude, I swear I was just talking about you and I didn't know it was you. So that was pretty cool how that worked out. Yeah. Jameson's an amazing human being. I'm very grateful to know. And I'm grateful to make that connection. Yeah. Solid dude for sure. So as we're thinking about the Renaissance, uh, as if we're thinking about the Renaissance collectively, where do you see the fraternity of excellence fitting in and, and Zach Small? Leading the way. 
Right on. What does that mean for you leading the way? I spoke earlier about my son setting the example from which excellence will be measured. And that is our goal. I want my group leading the way when it comes to confidence, when it comes to creation, when it comes to putting products out into the world. You know, we have men starting businesses. We have men writing books. We have men leading through uh, their examples of the profiles of their families. We have men on there dialing themselves in and the world will never hear about it, but they're out there in their community, leading their community. They're out there changing the landscape when it comes to politics. We've got men doing so much that when you look at FOE, like, damn, like those guys, they're at the tip of the spear. They're going out and doing the thing, boots in the ground. They're not talking about it. They're not just zooming about it. They're doing it. You look at all these other groups. I'll put FOE toe-to-toe against any of them. And when it comes to myself, I can't expect anybody else to perform at a higher level than I'm willing to do myself. So for me, I've got to embody it. I've got to continue pushing myself to new heights. So FOE and myself, we're leading the way. And people should try to keep up. Where can people learn about the Fraternity of Excellence in Zach Small? So Fraternity of Excellence, uh, we have a site, fraternityofexcellence.com. If you want to find my work, it's thefamilyalpha.com. And my Twitter and Instagram are at Zach. Z-A-C, small, underscore. Thank you so much for having this conversation with me today. This has been really fantastic. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance of Men podcast. Visit us on the web at renofmen.com or on your favorite social media platform at Ren of Men. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance.